from Flourish DX School, this is the Flourishing at School podcast. With mental health becoming a global priority, we are your partner for creating schools where students, teachers and school leaders feel good and function well, becoming the best versions of themselves and contributing to a flourishing world. Welcome to the Flourishing at School podcast. I'm Tamara Lechner. Each week, my co-host Jason Banshee and I bring you the best practitioners, academics, and everything in between to inform you about best practice of whole school mental health. Now, Jay, I know we often start these with the well-being check-in, but honestly, I've been feeling a little bit low today, so I'm not going there. Where I'm going to go instead is to something I call my canary in the coal mine, because I'm super unaware of what's going on emotionally most of the time, which is probably not a trait that someone in the mental health space should have. But I have this canary in the coal mine that when I'm starting to go downwards, I notice a few things. And one of them is that I start looking at houses all around the world in places that I would love to live. So that is my canary in the coal mine. Do you have one, Jason, that you are aware of? Something that you do when you start to downward spiral? Yeah, well, first of all, um, sorry to hear that you're not having a good one today, Tamara. (laughs) Thank um, you. And also, thank you that you didn't ask me another, what am I doing for my well-being? Because I was running out of things for my well-being, actually. Uh, I'm just going to have to resort to, I don't know, drinking copious amounts of alcohol or something like I don't know. like Something different <laughs> than what I would normally do. Um, canary in the coal mine. Um, oh, I find, uh, yeah, retreating away from social um, situations is kind of mine. So when I'm that exhausted that when a friend asks me, hey, you want to go hang out or go play poker or, you know, something like that, and I just say, no, I'm I'm too tired, then it's like, yeah, I I have been pushing it too hard. Um, Socialising is good for my well-being. So if I'm not able to do that, then, you know, obviously there's something else going wrong. So, uh, yeah, that's my one when I'm withdrawing from social circumstances, given that I'm a bit of an extrovert usually. Well, you get you get to flex your extrovert muscle right now because we're both meeting a new friend. Our guest today is John Spencer, and I first came across John's work through a teacher I know in Toronto who kept sharing and sharing his social media posts, and I fell in love with the way that he shares about teaching. So John comes from a background as a middle school teacher. He is a college professor, and he is all about creativity and wonder. And I have been watching him help teachers to unleash their creative sides and helping them to help their students do the same. And I cannot wait to have this conversation with John. So welcome, John. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Do you have a canary in the coal mine before we go to real questions? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Like when you're talking canary in the coal mine, you mean like, things that alert you to it's it's been too much or there's something going on is that kind of what that little warning about? signal you know how they used to send canaries down coal mines to yeah yeah let you yeah. know if there I was bad gas yeah yes yeah. yeah um i think mine would probably be you know that i'm trying to move too fast like uh that that I'm getting impatient at a stoplight. I'm not driving bad, but I'm feeling it. I'm eating too fast. I'm like I, I, I enjoy running, which is not true. I run because it's necessary. Um, I don't really enjoy it. I I enjoy being done with running. Um, you know, anyone who says <laughs> they've had that. a runner's high, I'm yeah. like, you've you've never actually been high. 
Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, but but even that, like, my pace will pick up, right? Because I don't run fast. Um, but it's it's sort of my. Um, it really has to do with the speed in which I'm doing life. And then that's my moment of like, oh, something's going on. I'm moving too fast and I'm missing important stuff. So it's just yeah. the speed of everything, I think, go, gets too fast. I'm getting edgy and irritable. But I don't even know that I am. It's me monitoring my speed, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, reflecting on my own life at the moment, yeah, I can see some of those signals coming through. So maybe that could be my earlier canary in the coal mine when I start doing things too fast and stop, you know, being present um, rather than having to wait until I'm withdrawing from social activities, which is generally at, at a point where I'm feeling pretty burnt out. Mm. Yeah, nice one. Hey, um, so, John, Tamara knows more of, of your work than, than what I'm aware of. And um, I'm sure for some of our listeners that, that they won't be familiar with you. So it'd be great in just a few minutes if you could let us know a bit about, you know, who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a professor. I teach education, uh, pre-service teachers. I've been doing that for, I'm now on my eighth year, which sounds uh, wild to me to, to think about that. Um, for 12 years, I was a middle school teacher. So um, I'm coming up on... This is my 20th year in education. Um, I love making content. You know, I create blog posts and podcasts and little sketch videos that I enjoy doing. And um, I just enjoy creative work. Um, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I uh, love hanging out with my kids. I have teenagers, which turns out to be way more fun than anyone says. Uh, it is a fun age. But yeah, that's that's basically me. Yeah, so you're, um, you're a professor, right? So what, what do you focus your time on in terms of research and teaching? A lot of my research is on um, project-based learning and design thinking, and in particular, teacher motivation and self-efficacy within that. Um, what does it mean um, to, to really meet teachers where they're at in their, in their PD? Um, a lot of it is student-centered learning, uh, which is what I'm all about, you know, empowering um, students, but also empowering teachers and what that means to for teachers to feel empowered in their work as well. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it today. Yeah. yeah. So so some of the words that jumped out at me that, that you've mentioned are motivation and self-efficacy. And, and Jason and I sit very deeply in, in the well-being space. And mm -hmm. so we're talking about feeling good and functioning well. Mm -hmm. And I see that motivation and that self-efficacy as being super important for mm -hmm. teachers, not only for themselves, but for them to role model to their students. And so I'm going to go to kind of the literacy of what we do and, and, and how we do it. And mm -hmm. we're called the Flourishing at School podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, because you're a little bit outside our normal yeah. guests. Most of our guests sit right in the center of the well-being right. space, and they're all about pastoral care and measuring and, and promoting well-being. And I love that you are adjacent and still deeply involved in yeah. the things that help students to feel good and function well. So for you personally, if I said, what does flourishing mean? And that might not be exactly the word, but when students and teachers are feeling good and functioning well, how would you define that in in your language? So I think for for teachers, well, I think for teachers and for students, 
flourishing really means that you have a sense of agency in what you're doing, right? So I brought up empowerment. It's that sense of motivation. I have a purpose for what I'm doing. It's also the sense of efficacy. I believe that I can do this, that I will accomplish my goals. Um, those pieces I think are a critical part of it. Um, I, I sort of think about it in the teacher space of what does it mean to be flourishing uh, for a teacher? And I think it comes down to the story that you tell yourself about teaching. So I'm going to move away just a little bit from motivation and, and efficacy. Although this really deals with both of those things, I think tangentially. Um, I think one of the things that robs us of our joy in teaching and burns people out is having a bad story about the teaching profession. And in particular, this, the, you know, when we think about a school year, when we think about what we're doing, it really does come down to how we've defined the story of what we're doing, right? And so for me, the, the dangerous story was perfectionism. It was, you know, when I'm getting sucked into perfectionism, I'm believing everything has to be perfect. I'm putting in way too much effort in things that don't matter and not giving myself permission to have things, some things not be great. Um, and the story that I'm telling myself is, is in a very subconscious way. If you can think about the teacher movies of when I began teaching in like 2001, 2002, it's all of the silver screen super teachers, right? It's stand and deliver. It's dangerous minds. It's, it's a very dangerous story for teacher or for students because it's the, the superhero story, right? But it's also, you know, all of those movies were based on real people who didn't last more than three years in the classroom. So it's not sustainable. And so I look at that and I say, that's the dangerous story to be in, right? You're not going to flourish if you have a dangerous, that dangerous story. Um, and, and I kind of think of that as like the, the, the story that you don't want. Um, the story that you do want is a different story. And it's a story about humility. It's a story about um, agency and a sense of control. But it's also a story where instead of having to be super, success is simply defined with other metrics. I'm taking creative risks. I'm doing things that matter for me. So if we think about the elements of plot for a moment, it's character. I'm teaching in a way that reflects my identity. So for me, I'm going to flourish when I get to be an introvert right? Like Jason, you said, you're an extrovert. I need to be an, an introvert. I need to have a large amount of creative autonomy. I love doing creative work. Those, those are part of my identity. Um, you know, the characters, it, it, it means that it's all about the community that we're a part of. The theme that emerges from the year is have we taken meaningful creative risks? Do we have a shared ownership of the space? You know, um, the, the, so all of these elements from the setting being different, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a humble setting to it, it's choosing a different story. So I kind of view flourishing as I'm going to choose a sustainable story, not a super teacher story. That's a pretty powerful message. Um, oh, thanks. And what, what I, I would love to go a layer deeper and say, okay, when you're teaching young mm -hmm. wannabe teachers, how do you help prepare them to do that in a system that mm -hmm. sometimes 
feels like it's against them rather than for them. And I know that's me telling a really bad story about what yeah, happens yeah, in yeah. teaching, but I think that's probably in a lot of young teachers' heads. So how do you work around that or help them work around that? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of different things. One is, you know, that level of, so this is the story that I believe in, right? And then I have a system that goes against that. And how do I operate within that system? And that's, um, you know, I, I kind of view it as like, you've got two approaches that you get to, to do in that in the moment. One is that you can be a sage. The other is that you can be a radical. And a sage compromises. They work within the system. They change the system from within. They um, are pragmatic. That's the sage. The radical speaks boldly against injustice. They tear things down. The sage is using the hammer to create art. The 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 radical is using the hammer to tear down injustice. You need to be both and you need to decide. And making that decision, going back to the idea of agency, really comes down to I as as an educator have to, you know, decide when I'm going to take both approaches. Because if you're one approach all the time, the sage, you're going to lose your sense of self, right? If you're the radical at all times, you're going to burn out because you're never going to work within the system. But if you learn when to take both approaches, I think you'll find a place a little more where you can be thriving. Yeah, John. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in um, this this whole topic because we know teacher burnout is uh, is a huge issue at the moment, mm -hmm. right? Teachers really were at the forefront of the the pandemic. Um, so what what are your tips for teachers then in order to be more sustainable in terms of what they're doing in classrooms and maintaining their well-being versus, like you say, that superhero where you're, you're yeah, trying yeah. to fix all these problems and it's constant <laughs> fight or flight? Yeah, so I think part of it really comes down to if, if someone is experiencing your know, true burnout, um, you know, an actual... I guess what I would say is um, sometimes it really is the environment. So even though I'm all about personal agency and things like that, if, you're, if your agency has been taken away from you, if you feel like you have no sense of control in what you're doing, then get out of that environment. Um, some of it is labeling kind of where you are. I, I made a continuum on a blog post a, a long time ago, um, and, and it was – after my hardest year of teaching ever. And it was basically asking yourself from a continuum of, do I need rest or do I need um, recovery? Do I need healing, right? And, um, you know, it goes from, you know, I need rest, I need restoration, I need you know something deeper, I need actual recovery, I need to heal. And knowing where you are makes a huge difference. So, you know, I did have one year that was awful. The environment was toxic. We, we lost 17 teachers that year who quit. It was hard. Mm -hmm. And my next year just was a healing year, right? So sometimes you have to say, you know, and I made the decision at the end, at the end of that year that if leadership, who was only there for a year, um, didn't change, I would have to find a new environment, right? So I think we need to recognize, like, we talk about self-care. It really is teacher care. And because it's teacher care, it it's everyone's responsibility. And those environmental factors are important. So I would start by just saying, for me, I would I always advise, take a good look at where your actual environment is. And then you know, ask yourself if you need to leave, what you need uh, in the moment. 
Um, and then when it comes to actually thriving and, and, and sort of a, avoiding burnout, I think that's a little more internal. And that comes down to things like, you know, breaking up with busy and choosing what, what you're going to allow to be imperfect, learning how to say no to things that truly don't matter to you that aren't important, that don't fit your identity. You know, I remember saying yes to going to a chaperoning a middle school school dance. That's a nightmare for me. Introvert, <laughs> it smells like Axe, which I think probably Jason, I don't know, you probably have the, 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 the I, I think Australia probably has the British version of Axe. I don't know what that would be called over there, but you know, it just oh, smells- yeah, it links. It's links, links over yes. here. Yeah, 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 links, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, breaking up with busy, really thinking about that, um, deciding what you're going to do. But I will say this, I brought up earlier the idea of student-centered learning, which I'm passionate about, which I really haven't been talking about too much here. When we empower our students and we give them more ownership, we have more space to, to, to thrive and flourish ourselves. So, you know, the, the hidden side of student-centered learning is if students are doing more self-assessment, if they're making more choices, if they've got more of a sense of control, if they're more excited about learning, then they're actually doing more of the work. And that's a yeah. good thing. And you, so I think some of it is those little things of like, actually you can work close to 40 hours a week and do a great job at it. And that's part of thriving too. Yeah. And that's something that um, I think a lot of people are confused. They um, think working long or working hard is mm -hmm. what causes burnout. But if it's work that is like good quality work, then it can mm -hmm. actually be beneficial for our well-being, right? Mm -hmm. But interesting what you have picked up there as well about how burnout is not due to necessarily someone's lack of resilience or lack of self-care. It's more about environmental issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have leadership support? Um, mm -hmm. Are you doing things that aren't aligned to your your values or, you know, your, your, your key strengths? Are you saying yes to everything, taking on stuff that has, you know, re no relevance to you? Um, mm -hmm. All of those things are kind of contributing to, to people feeling burnt out. Um, so we, we need to, like you say, it's a team sport when it comes to preventing um, teacher burnout. And we can't just teach people to be more resilient. And uh, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, as you say, you know, 17 of your colleagues left. Um, I did yeah. see some research by an org site who was doing a PhD on resilience and retention. And uh, he actually found the more resilient you made people, the more likely they'll to leave toxic environments. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're an employer and you're going, well, I can solve this burnout issue by making people more resilient, just be careful. They might realize that actually it's not me and my personal behaviors that are causing me to be burnout. It's this horrible environment that I'm in and I'm going to leave because that's actually beneficial for my well-being. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so counterintuitive, but it makes sense, right? Yeah. 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 You're going to do something that's self-protective, right? The more resilient you are. And so, yeah, yeah. when you notice something like the, the water's been boiling up and I just haven't noticed for a while because I've been in it. Yeah. At some point you go, no, this is not good for my health. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that, I mean, I love the fact that you both are having these conversations and the, the, in general, the conversation has changed so much. You know, when I think about teacher well-being, when I was in college, it, it really was incredibly superficial. Make sure you're drinking water, eating right. I mean, that was like it, right? I mean, it was so not, um, not helpful. Mm. And, you know, I, I would always ask 
like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but even if you just took water and eating right, what what would be causing someone to not drink water or mm. eat right? You know, because yeah. that's a you're basically denying yourself the very basic survival needs. There's something big going on there, if that's the case, right? You're absolutely right, and you've you've hit on one of the things that we still see so many school leaders saying, oh, just prioritize self-care. And it's it's not a solution for not having the time to leave your classroom to use the restroom or get a drink of water or do whatever it is you need to do to take care of yourself. You don't have permission to do that if your system hasn't set itself up in a way that allows that. Um, I would love to go back to something that you started to talk about. Um, and I'm getting my head stuck in this Axe middle school classroom. <laughs> and and <laughs> you, you have deep experience there. I love middle schoolers. And I would love to know, you started to talk about something that had gone really right with the students having more autonomy and efficacy in the classroom. And I wonder if you could, for a school that isn't that way, that's, that's rigid and has lines to toe and rubrics and hasn't really thought about that. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about how to shift towards that? What, what steps you've seen that work well? So I think doing a, a, a quick audit and inventory makes, makes sense. And what I, what I think is helpful is to begin with two questions. One is, um, what am I already doing that allows students to have voice and choice? So begin with the areas that you are, and it might be small. I'm, I'm giving them options in their warm up. Well, there you go. You're already starting with that. You know what? We do this fun show and tell activity. Awesome. That's an example. So begin with that question. What am I already doing that's empowering students? And then have a question. What are we doing for students that they could be doing for themselves? And, and just do an inventory of all the different areas. Again, it could be assessments. It could be choosing topics. It could be selecting the scaffolds and supports for their learning. It could be classroom jobs. Um, you know, there's a lot of different areas where we do things for students that they really could and should be doing for themselves. Um, and I think once you do that, you really narrow it down into a couple things that you're going to try and you take a gradual release approach. You say, you know, um, I'm going to give them options in a curation of resources during research. And then we're going to move to having them do some of their own research, or I'm going to do a short self-assessment survey, and then we'll, we'll try a new self-assessment process and, and just really gradually build on it, see some of those early wins, and then, then just kind of take it that direction over time. That's a great tip. Thanks for that. Thanks. Hey, John, um, when we're trying new things, not all of them work, right? So right. is there anything that you've tried and failed at spectacularly? Oh my gosh. Yeah. A lot. So, um, you know, I shared this story recently on my blog post. I, 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 that, um, the sweet spot in innovation is the, uh, overlap of best practices and next practices. Right. And the thing about best practices is those are the tried and true. But the next practices are the never tried and the next practices are experiments and you don't know if they're going to work. And um, so keeping that in mind, there will be moments that, that 
things just fail. Um, and kind of the way I think about it is like failure is permanent, failing is temporary. And so these are just small things that didn't work that we're going to try again. We're going to try again until we figure out what does work. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things. It can be big or it can be small. I think about like right now, I've, I'm teaching a virtual cohort. Things are generally working pretty well, feel pretty good about it. Um, they absolutely hated when I tried doing the voice announcements, uh, like voice broadcast on Zoom, right? Because it interrupted their conversations. It's not the same thing as a physical classroom. It tanked, mm -hmm. right? It's, no, it's a small example, but it just didn't work. Um, during direct instruction, I went too long the other day and didn't break it into, you know, normally in a physical environment, I explain a step and then they turn to a partner, they paraphrase, turned to a partner. I didn't do any of that. So mm. they were hitting cognitive overload and I, and I didn't even pick up on it cause it's virtual. So, you know, little things like that and knowing, you know, again, those aren't fa failing spectacularly, but they are mistakes. There are things that didn't work and you keep trying new things. At the K-12 level, I had a lot more of those. I mean, I'll be honest. Um, and those were the projects that just didn't work. You know, I, I, it was too structured and it became a recipe, not a project. It was too unstructured and kids were lost. They didn't know what to do. Um, and I, I, um, I love this metaphor, um, that I had when I was a brand new teacher. So, um, I, I taught a lesson that was just awful. It was the cringiest of cringe lesson. It was horrible. And, um, I remember my mentor teacher said to me, you know, some teachers are like water. They provide nourishment for you. They, um, they, they help you navigate, you know, social, emotional learning. They, they give you soft skills. They're there for you. They build relationships. And he said, some teachers are like light. They give you wisdom. They stretch you intellectually. They help you to grow mentally. Um, and I said, yeah, so, so it's like a greenhouse that, that makes sense. And he said, well, it's always a mystery, right? Um, you never know what's going on, but there's a third category. And he said, some teachers are, are crap and that becomes the manure <laughs> that helps kids grow. And you know what? Kids need that too. They need the mistakes. They need the crappy teachers. They need that to help grow resilient themselves. And, um, and I kind of felt bad cause I just talked about this horrible lesson that went poorly. And, you know, his next words were, and never convince yourself that you're one of those three. You will always be all three. You are always light. You are always water and you are always crap. And, um, and don't, the moment that's going to be the title of this podcast episode. I think, I think we've also got a social clip there tomorrow as well. So. Totally. <laughs> But for me, it's, you know, I, I, I always share that with my pre-service teachers because, you know, who tends to enter the teaching profession often are people who are really good students. There's a, a, a people pleaser side. There's a perfectionist side. And um, for many of them, it's when they do their practicum that they fail miserably for the first time. I mean, really fail at what they're doing. And that's... Um, that's humbling and hard. And they're going to question, do I belong here? And the answer is, yeah, of course you do. We all screw up. It's part of the 
craft of teaching. Yeah, this might have to be the new segment, um, uh, Tamara, like we'll call it. So when were you the manure? Such <laughs> <laughs> so a crass way to think about Perfect. it. But... The crap uh, of flourishing. There we go. The crap of flourishing. <laughs> no, I really like that. And what, what comes to mind for me, because I've worked with a researcher at the University of Victoria, and she's been doing some personality assessments on people who decide to become teachers. And she finds that they represent a very small section of all people. And as you said, most of them did flourish in school. They were great students. So if you mm-hmm. ask them if school is working, they think it is because it worked for them really well. Yeah. Um, but that's a really small percentage of the whole population. And I've seen this with I'm an outside the box thinker. I have four kids who all sit way outside the box and it's rare that they come across a teacher who gets them. Um, Mm. And I wonder from your experience inside both the setting of schools that you've worked with, but also now teaching teachers, you kind of hinted that there is one type of person who chooses to teach. How can we prepare those people better to meet the needs of other people who aren't like them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different types of teachers. So, I mean, I would say that, right. Um, but there definitely is the, that, um, sort of good student, a little bit compliant, less of a divergent thinker type person. Um, what I will say about it is in my experience, this is not scientific at all you know, that group makes up probably 90%. And then there's 10% who enter the teaching profession because school didn't work for them. And they're going to change it. And, and, and they're going to have to work within the system. And it's hard for them because they want to blow the system up, right? They, they're like, this didn't work for me, it didn't doesn't work for anyone. And I think the challenge I run into is when we get into these ideas of student centered learning and giving students agency, the messiness of that becomes really hard for some of those people. And the hard thing is giving them the permission to teach out of a place of who they are, but also knowing that their students are going to be in all kinds of different places. Um, and then when it comes to modeling, right? So modeling that for them can be tough because, you know, when you model some of these strategies for some of those teachers, and it could be in a class of 20, it could be 18 or 19 of them find it really hard that for this particular activity, there's no handout or agenda or do you know what I mean? And so it becomes really tough. And I, but I think having those open conversations about it uh, makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think um, you're right. Really good advice. Yeah. Sorry, tomorrow. I was also just saying, yes, yes. <laughs> Same <laughs> praise, different country. <laughs> yeah. Now, John, um, you came to Tamara's attention because of some of your social media content that you produce. So what platform are you mainly on? So I, um, I blog, I have a website, it's uh, spencerauthor.com. I'm also on Facebook, um, which I'm hit or miss on depending on life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, and, um, I also put videos on uh, YouTube. So usually about once a month, I, I make a YouTube video. I, I make these like sketch animation videos. Um, but the biggest place is probably um, my blog. And um, 
I forgot. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter too. I've been on Twitter for a long time. So I haven't taken up TikTok yet. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, I am not on TikTok. Um, so <laughs> I've been playing there and I have to say, Jay, the last clip that I put on had you in it and it had the most views of anything. So y- you were popular on my TikTok. <laughs> it's the Australian accent. It carries well um, internationally tomorrow. So, uh, so, uh, there's another one, my kids, again, teenagers have, and I can't remember the name of it, but you like, you have to post within a minute. Yeah. Be real. Be Be real. real. Yeah. My kids are forever being real. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What was that? It, it's, it shows you and then it shows outward what you're seeing as well. And it's, it's designed as the anti Instagram because it's, it's not curated or no, there's no, it's the opposite of FOMO. I mean, it's not curated. I, it, I find it fascinating because, um, yeah, th- th- I think about my oldest, he, he has no desire to be on Instagram. He likes making silly TikTok videos with friends and then be real. Uh, but Instagram is a, a, a content discovery machine for him. I, I think he's posted twice and only to stories, you know, mm. maybe three times. Um, but be real. It's a, it's a fascinating dynamic. I think there's a backlash. Um, I see it a lot with him and his friends, a backlash to the highly curated element of Instagram. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Hey, um, so John, that's, uh, I'm I'm hoping that some of our uh, listeners will find your content online uh, and we'll put some links to that as well. Um, in the show notes, but um, where do you find inspiration from in terms of like, is there any like uh, um, social media people that you follow or podcasts that you listen to? Yeah. So I love, uh, I mean, I'm an avid book reader. Like I love all kinds of books and um, I love like the conversation that happens between books when you're reading multiple books. Um, I love a lot of things in um, history and behavioral economics and certain ta- you know, areas that are not in the education world, but then end up connecting to education. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy podcasts, uh, things like 99% invisible design podcast, things like that. Um, there's one called patented it's from the UK. It's about the history of inventions that I really like. This is all probably way outside the zone of your listeners, but I love it. Um, on being <laughs> Krista Tippett, uh, like there's, there's certain podcasts I like, um, and yeah. And, and audiobooks, uh, I listen to lots and lots of audiobooks, um, and, and read books. So yeah, I guess th- those are the things. And then in the education spaces, I think there's certain, um, folks who, um, who I've always uh, enjoyed reading. So, uh, Angela Watson, Jim Gonzalez, um, Jose Wilson, um, AJ Giuliani, who I've co-written stuff with, um, my friend, Trevor Muir, he, he writes great stuff, makes good content. So yeah, a little bit of everything. Terrific. Now there's some uh, good things there. 99 percenters, uh, the 99%, I think, is that what it's called again? Yeah. That, um, podcast. I listened to one or two of those episodes. I, yeah, it did intrigue me. I've got to listen to some more for it's sure. It's fun. I yeah. enjoy that. Or like the Malcolm Gladwell, the revisionist yes. history. Yeah. Revisionist history yeah. is, um, oh, I just love that one. I'm such a fan of the way he tells the story. Um, yeah. And that's what I, I love that you're suggesting podcasts that aren't this in school and not in education because yeah. we learn from 
these other genres and bring right. that to the classroom. And, and so our first, what, six guests, Jay, all said, Adam Grant, Brené Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we're yeah, like, okay, this yeah. is getting really Adam. boring. Adam uh, yeah. And we love um, these people, but we also would love to have a little Malcolm Gladwell and a, and a little, yeah. Uh, yeah. So thank, thanks for opening our minds to some new ones. I enjoy those. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So we're just about at the end of our time together. We've learned a lot about you, but is there anything else that you've got on your plate or coming forth that you would like to talk about before we close this podcast up? Um, no. We're good. The, the, the introvert's <laughs> ending. Well, all good. Bye-bye now. That's easy. Um, no, I mean, I'll just, I guess I'll share something. I, uh, I just um, released it. It is available um, in a physical version or as a free download too. But I have a little thing that's all about creativity. Um, this is a little author copy. So this, the, if you get it, it won't have this. But it's the Creative Momentum Journal. And uh, it's just a guided journal to help build creative momentum. Um, so if you're interested in getting started with more creative work, there's little prompts involved. There's reflection pieces involved. Um, there's a way to track progress for like how many days in a row you've done whatever creative work that you're working on. There's a little field trips that you can do. Um, so yeah, it's just this fun little guided journal. Um, a friend of mine named Matt, he and I put this thing together and um, again, it's available. You can check it out. You can download it for free. I'm going to check it out for my son. I think he would love it. And your, my colleagues and I uh, who work together teaching well-being work we're having a discussion because two of us believed that creativity sat at the very heart of feeling good and functioning well. And the third person yeah. was like, nope, that's not a thing. That's not part of this. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm going to get her a copy too. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much yeah. for generously sharing your time with us today. For our listeners, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast channel you can also find us on flourish dx's youtube and that way you'll get to see the three of us and uh see the book that john shared um because it was right up there and, and visual and we hope that you'll share this podcast with your friends we hope that you'll connect with us on our social feeds john shared a bunch of his jason and i are mostly on linkedin and that's it for today's episode we'll catch you next time and until then keep flourishing at school and in life You've been listening to the Flourishing at School podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on whole school mental health, follow Flourish DX School on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Flourishing at School podcast at www.flourishingatschool.com.